What do you do with expired Christmas cards? I'd like to know the answer. My mom loved Christmas cards. Uh, Before Christmas, they're wonderful. After Christmas, they're like, uh, uh, what do you do with these things? Uh, My family in Ohio is discovering that my mom kept every Christmas card. I'm talking about every Christmas card. She considered those cards from her friends as pure gold. And while home recently, I discovered yet another collection of Christmas cards from two decades ago. Some of you sent her cards. I saw your names on the cards. I went through those cards one by one. And the messages were kind of divided, you know. I'm trying to kind of divide it between Santa Claus, reindeer, and that stuff, and Bible scenes. You know, you see the cover, one of those two kind of pop out at you. It's kind of inspirational cards versus kind of traditional cards or funny cards. And uh, here's a sample. Here's a sample of some of those cards. Uh, this is for the senior citizens among us that will get this and probably the rest won't. But Santa's up on the roof and he's up there and he says, now what did I come up here for? You know, that's... That's you guys. That is you and um, me. Why did I open the refrigerator? I was after something. What was it? And then the second one is uh, more current, a 2021 Christmas card. Rudolph on the roof saying, I can't guide the way with this mask on. Hello. That's where we are. Um, many of the cards that I went through with, that my mom had collected had a very familiar message. You, you know it well. Joe read it for us. Uh, peace on earth, goodwill to man. Uh, the statement comes from Luke chapter two. You know it, um, pretty well, I'll bet. So today I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation because it might come at you from a different perspective and you might hear it differently this time than you ever have before. So here goes from the New Living Translation. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize Him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, the armies of heaven, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God's, God is pleased. You get those Christmas cards that say, Peace on earth, and you wonder about that. Really? Really, you know, there's a couple little birds in the trees, you know, hovering over the major scene and the sun, peace on earth and the birds are peaceful. And you go, oh, that's, that is nice. But that's not the peace that I, I see in the world today. 
the Daily Mail out of the United Kingdom reports that there are more than 40 active conflicts around the world at this very moment. Some are well-known like Afghanistan and Syria. Some are out of the news like Azerbaijan or Myanmar or Sudan. We don't hear much about them. The Cook County Medical Examiner of Illinois, Chicago area, reported at the end of November that there had been 1,009 homicides so far in that county with still one month to go. Peace on earth? How can the angels speak of peace on earth? It hasn't really been that way since Cain and Abel. The the word peace is used in the Bible uh, three different ways. Uh, first, there's peace between God and man. Then there's this inner peace in ourselves. And there's peace among each other, among nations, among peoples. And I thank Mitch and Jordan for digging into that subject over the last couple of weeks. Um, when man was created, uh, there was peace at all three levels. There was peace with God, peace with each inside, and peace with each other. Of course, there was only two people at times, so it was okay for a little while, right? And then you know what happened. The, the great rebellion happened against God, and the sad result is uh, described by Paul. He kind of gives a commentary on Genesis all the way up in Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul plums the depths of pessimism about man uh, before he later rises to great optimism about what God has done with man. But let me just read this for you. This is the contrast of peace on earth. This is Ephesians chapter 2. It's very dark. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And then Paul piles on just a few lines later in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Peace on earth? Peace with God? I don't think so. We declared war with God. No one made us do it, right? We took the bait. We chose it out of our own rebellious nature. And Paul is not talking here about some uncivilized headhunter tribe in the South Pacific. He's talking about you and me. All of us lived among them at one time. We followed the wrong path. We missed the mark. We've lived in rebellion. The peace that once we existed between us and God is gone. We ruined it. So let me just throw that to you again. Here's the nine negatives from our, that result from our rebellion. This is you. If you're outside of Christ today, this is you. You might look great today, but this is you on the inside. 
dead in your transgressions and sins. You lived among them as a way of life. You followed the ruler of this world. Uh, you followed the ways of this world. You followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You were disobedient. You lived to gratify your own cravings. You were an object of God's wrath. You were separated from God, excluded from citizenship. You were without hope, without God. That's you. Well, Merry Christmas to you, right? Wow. People don't want to discuss this very often because it makes them feel guilty. Well, guess what? You are guilty. Charles Swindoll explained one of uh, his jobs as a child in his uh, growing up in his home in Texas. He said his mom would give him the spray jar and a towel and tell him to dust the furniture. And uh, he would start dusting away and, you know, make everything just real shiny. Uh, but as he was dusting, he would look over there as the sun was coming through the window and he would see dust particles floating in the air. On the very place where he had just dusted, the dust particles were coming right back down again. And he was saying, this, is, uh, this isn't working. I am dusting. I am trying really hard, but it just I'm just really moving the dust around. I'm not doing much else. That's what sin is like. We, we can make new laws. We can go to therapy. We can take new medications. But nothing works. The guilt still remains. There is no peace with God, and it's our fault. I, I was horrified to read that according to the CDC, over 100,000 of our fellow citizens have died from drug overdose this year. It's horrifying. It's happening in our own communities. I don't like to answer my phone when I see it's from one of our local funeral homes because I know they're calling with a story that I've heard more than I want to hear. A young person has passed away. They don't have a church home. Can you help them? I don't want to do any of that ever again. New York State passed legislation recently that permits the commercial sale of cannabis products and the expansion of medical cannabis. Surprise, you guys who love the bureaucracy, that they established an Office of Cannabis Management. Hey, good for you if you're looking for a job. The Office of Cannabis Management. Wow. Uh, I get it. It can help some people. I get it. But all of our efforts, will that bring peace on earth? Will that bring peace between God and man? No. It's temporary. It's a temporary fix at best, isn't it? It, it we remain dead in our transgressions and said, uh, we're, we're dead. We're, we're looking for the fountain of youth, something to solve the problem. I, I read a story about death. I have to tell you, I, I, I read about a tough old cowboy who was at the end of his life and he was, 
having a conversation with his grandson, a teenager. And uh, the grandson was saying, Grandpa, you've lived to be uh, 93 years old. It's pretty cool. How'd you do it? What's your secret? And Grandpa said, well, secret to a long life, this is what I do. Every morning I have oatmeal for breakfast and I put a little sprinkle of gunpowder on my oatmeal. Stir it up and eat it. It's, that's that's been my secret. I've been doing it a long time, and it works for me. Uh, so the young kid said, okay, gunpowder on my oatmeal. I'm going to do it. So he did it. Every day of his whole life, he lived to be 97 years old. When he died, he left six children, 28 grandchildren, 35 great-grandchildren, and a 15-foot hole in the wall of the crematorium. (laughs) Dead. (laughs) I don't know, you guys. Sorry, you have to throw in a crazy something every now and then. In my opinion, Ephesians 2 is the most profound, one of the most profound and magnificent pieces of literature ever composed. I know, you're thinking, what does that have to do with the Christmas story? Everything! It has everything to do with the Christmas story. It's the behind the scenes of what's happening in the Christmas story. The story of how we can have peace on earth and goodwill towards men. It it includes, of course, some of the biggest buts in the Bible. you got to get this. Ephesians 2 verse 4, if you have your Bible, this is one of those underlinable, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God pursued peace with us by sending His Son to earth. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. That's why the message of salvation in Christ is called the gospel of peace. That's what it's called in Ephesians chapter 6. It's the gospel of peace. What are you talking about? Peace peace between nations? Peace from all the stress that you you, uh, have in the world? No, it's peace between you and God. There's no more war. The guilt's gone. It's been wiped away. Isaiah calls Jesus the Prince of Peace because He would end the long war with God. Look at this beautiful statement from Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Paul spends four chapters describing the condition of man and how uh, the only way he can ever be made right is to be justified by faith. And then he says this, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. Peace on earth. As the angel predicted. Right there, right now, presently, we can have peace with God. Colossians 1, uh, verse 20 through 22 says this, gives the same emphasis through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Only the gospel of peace offers this kind of amnesty to the condemned, um, this freedom for the captive, and life 
to the dead. The, the angel's words to the shepherds on that first Christmas ring true in the New Testament. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Well, that raises the question then. With whom is God pleased? How can I get this? With whom is He pleased? Well, God's pleasure and peace rest on those who have received His Son, the gift of Christmas. Peace with God means our consciences have been cleared. The shame that we uh, rightly felt for our wicked deeds has been canceled by Christ. Peace with God allows the Christian to live without fear of death. Our, our hope is secure in the knowledge that Jesus has done all that was necessary to be done to make us right with God. Jesus did it. Merry Christmas. But because of His great love for us. Hmm. Kenny Bowles writes in his commentary on Ephesians that this is the hallelujah chorus of our salvation. The late Ray Stedman, who preached in California for over 40 years, preached a whole sermon on two words. But God. I love it. You could do that too, I'll bet you. That's amazing. The first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2 paint this dark picture. It looks like it's terrible, as puts us in the worst light possible. But the guilt of man brings out the grace of God. Let me try it this way. Let's say you're going to go to a restaurant and you sit down and they hand you the menu. And what is the first thing that you look at? I I don't know what your focus is, but I find my eyes always sliding to the right side of the page to look at the price of things. I don't look for my favorite food because it's usually, yeah, I'll get by on something less. Um, probably it's a bunch of you too. I'm, you don't base your selection on the taste, but maybe on the price. Well, what was the price of peace for the rebellious enemies of God? Incredibly, God did not look at the right side of the menu like I would. I'd say, to buy you guys all back, to redeem all of you guys, to wipe out all of your shame and your guilt, costs too much. Can't afford it. Won't do that. But God saw us on the left side of the menu, and He said, that's what I want. I don't care what it costs. That's what I want. And I'll pay it. That's the Christmas story. Five times in the book of Ephesians, we find the word riches. Chapter 1, verse 8, He lavished His riches on us. He lavished His riches on us. Chapter 2, verse 7, it says His riches are incomparable. In chapter 3, verse 8, His riches are unsearchable. In chapter 4, verse 16, His riches are glorious. Check out those words together. Incomparable, unsearchable, glorious. That's what it took to redeem you, and that's what He was willing to pay. Jesus tried to explain His incomparable riches of His grace in stories. Remember, you remember some of those stories. He said, 
My grace is like a dad running to meet his rebellious son and forgive him and welcome him home. My grace is like a king who canceled the overwhelming debt of an unworthy prisoner. My grace is like a businessman who who overpaid a slacker employee. My grace is like a huge banquet. It's like a Jesus prom for, for the poorest people in the land. His grace lavished on us. It's unfair. It's ridiculous. It's hard to figure out. It's not right. And when you look at it, you think it's too good to be true. Yet on page after page of the New Testament, we see that it's true. So those nine negatives that I mentioned to you earlier are countered by ten positives that come through in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 as well. Let me just buzz through them real quick. You're made alive. You're raised up. You're seated in the heavenly realms. You're saved. You're brought near. You're sanctified. You have access to the Father. You're a fellow citizen. You're a member of God's household, a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Merry Christmas, buddy. That's the deal. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1 verse 22 explains that peace that we now have in Christ. It says, but now He's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death in order to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Yeah, you were guilty. Yeah, you should have felt lousy about yourself. But no more. You're free from accusation. Let's play suppose. Suppose you're standing in line at a grocery store and up ahead of you, just ahead of you in line is a mom with a very full cart and twins who look to be about three years old. They're in the cart too with all the groceries. These twins seem to have the disposition of Bonnie and Clyde. That's what they, that's what they, they seem like. They're full of energy. The mom looks exhausted. One kid reaches out, of course, into the candy rack and grabs a candy bar. And the mom says, put it back. And there's a conversation that turns into a confrontation and it gets awkward. And meanwhile, twin number two has managed to open the box of honey nut Cheerios. And while grabbing a handful of the Honey Nut Cheerios, of course, he spills half the box on the floor. And you are thinking it's Murphy's Law for you today. The other line always moves faster. Why did you choose this line? It's painful to watch. It's now a scene. Everybody wants it to be over. The kids are just getting warmed up, though. They want to put the credit card in the slot. They want to help the guy bag the groceries. They want another handful of Honey Nut Cheerios. Mom loses it. She says, sit down and behave. And it can be heard all the way back in the dairy section. And you're thinking, darn, I left my taser at home today. I could have used it. Mom does the most amazing thing. She reaches over into the blow pop rack and she grabs two blow pops. She unwraps them quickly and jams them into the mouth of each one of the kids. And the kids squeal with delight. And they quiet down and they check out and the line moves on. But something doesn't sit very well with you. Those kids, those ornery kids 
Those kids, those kids were treated way better than they deserved. Merry Christmas. Grace is the biggest scandal in history. Philip Yancey in his book says that grace forces us to ask another question. Why does God reward an undeserving brat like me? Why does He do it? It runs against everything we know. It's unfair. It's not right. We were enemies. We deserved it. He should punish us forever. Then we come to these incredible 22 verses of Ephesians chapter 2, each line more delicious than the one before it. By grace you have been saved. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. If you stood before God and He asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? I deserved it because I lived a good life. I deserved it because I kept most of the Ten Commandments. I deserved it because I was fairly religious. I I deserve it because I never hurt anybody. Here's the truth. If you were so good, Christmas would have never been necessary. That's the bottom line. We were counted as dead, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. I need to invite our worship team to return to the stage. I think sometimes at Christmas people kind of shuffle their feet and kind of feel lousy. They want to do the right thing. They avoid God because they think God's mad at them. Um, try to make it up in different ways, but they can't get over the fact that maybe God's mad. And the Christmas story demonstrates how much God is for you, not against you. You can have peace with God today. No more running, no more guilt. Just surrender. Put your trust in Christ alone. Uh, Repent and be baptized and wash away those sins. Your long war with God can end right now. There can be peace between you and God. Maybe there hasn't been ever in your life, but there can be today. He's done all the hard work. We'd love to talk with you about that.